welcome back to the second episode of Pap Series. And honestly, it's been a long time since I recorded my first conversation for the podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to one of my colleagues who is a very tech-savvy person and believes that Emacs should take over the world. What? What are you talking about? Sure, thanks for having me. So my name is Gianluca and I'm a second year PhD student at the Italian Institute of Technology. And in particular, I'm working on computer vision and the interaction between computer vision, uh, robotics and personal learning. And actually did my master, master degree and bachelor degree in Milano, in the University of Milano. And I, it's since, the 2008, since 2018, I'm working on deep learning and machine learning. And uh, also I contributed to some um, libraries that I find very cool. Um, first of all, PyTorch Lightning and all the libraries related to PyTorch Lightning. Um, maybe we can talk about it later. Uh, I find it super important for, for your career. Even if you want to continue in academia, still, um, for me, it's still uh, really uh, useful. It's useful to, uh, to have this kind of skills. That is super cool indeed. Perfect. So, which paper are we going to discuss today? Okay, so I'm going to talk about a paper about uncertainty. Oh, let me let me find the PDF first. 5,000 years later. Okay, found it. Found it? Okay, do this part again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. What is so funny? So, the paper that I propose it's called, it's titled the What Uncertainties Do We Need in Bayesian Deep Learning for Computer Vision? And actually, it's a paper from Alex Kendall and Janin Gall from 2018, Nick Rips 2017. Actually, the authors of the paper started start the introduction uh, talking about what could be the consequences of this overfit, of this severe overfitting of machine learning. For example, a famous a famous problem was related to Uber automatic, autonomous driving car. Uh, in 2015-16, when one of the Uber car uh, missed uh, some features from the images and actually uh, yeah. killed the, the auto. This first fatal accident by the assistant it's driver, fatal. Yeah, which assumed the white part of the truck to be a clear sky and did not apply brakes on it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you have the data, in this case, where they were sampled from a distribution with uh, not the sky was not so bright, for example, in the night during night, yeah. you had this kind of failures of the system. It could be actually, it could be really fatal for, for people. So it's uh, super important to have a really uh, a robust model. And I found this the uh, challenge, the most challenging part of machine learning right now that has a model that can generalize to different data from the training set. And this yeah. paper tried to uh, propose some solution from this kind of uh, uncertainty in uh, in the models. Before that, we're going to go a little bit uh, back. So the, the title of the paper is What Uncertainties Do We Need? So can you tell me what exactly is the uncertainty? Like, okay, and what? how do you model an uncertainty in a deep learning model? Can you talk about that? Sure, sure, sure. So for uncertainty, I mean, and actually the authors and the community means, um, when the uncertainty for the model is related to when the model predicts something, predicts, for example, a class in image classification, uh, even when it's not 
certain about it when it, when the probabilities of each class are quite uh, uniform so it's more or less guessing completely you know, randomly of one of the possible classes even if not, it's not totally uh, sure about it okay uh, so i'm referring to the model and actually you can distinguish two type uh, of source of this kind of uncertainty the first uncertainty is the aleatoric one and comes from the data from the observations okay so you have a model um, the train on some kind of data and the data as they are recorded they are sampled from the words so or from a real world mm -hmm. uh, have some uncertainty in inheriting in it and actually you can deal a bit with it with this kind of uncertainty but the probably the best solution is to have uh, more data because as you sample more data as you have more data more observation for your models in the end uh, at the infinity it's gonna be it's gonna converge to the real world uh, distribution to, to the distribution behind uh, you can say we are behind the observation okay but as we are in a limited world we have limited observations so we have this kind of uh, uncertainty in the, in the data that gonna reflect on uncertainty in the model so in predicting for example uh, we're talking before as with the same before in auto distribution data the second kind of uncertainty is uh, in the model it's uh, the uncertainty in the model so uh or oh, maybe i missed it the, the uncertainty model actually it's the one <laughs> explaining away with data so probably I missed this Yeah, why the the aleatoric uncertainty that's uh, in it that the epistemic uncertainty that's in the the model and can be solved using, uh, for example, tools uh, from probability, because if we uh, model both the likelihood of a data, so the likelihood that the data comes from a from, for example, uh, that uh, a class comes from a particular image. Uh, and we also can model the the uh, how the parameters of the model are distributed. So we don't have a single sample of the parameter, but we have a distribution of the uh, of the model of the parameters of the model. Because in machine learning, we try to find uh, the, a specific set of weights to okay. get a, a specific uh, result. For example, to get the for a specific task. Actually, this this is the source of the of the of these problems of the problems of epistemic uncertainty. That is some, the uncertainty in the model, and as we have uh, as we don't have enough data to explain all this uncertainty out, uh, we should get a more robust model. So instead of having a single um, a single weight, okay. a single um, set of weight, we can have a, a family of set of weights. And this is actually what the paper is about, uh, getting a family of set of weights uh, from Which where we can... dropouts come into action? There should be no talking in between. Yeah, actually, what you get is, uh, yeah, in, uh, in more like uh, in what you can do to get this family of weights mm -hmm. is having, for example, an ensemble. If you have multiple models, and each model has its own set of weights. What you have is, uh, for example, you know, you have 10 models and use them together to have an ensemble of models to predict, uh, for example, for a task, for example, for image classification. And you use every model on the input and average out the 
uh, outputs of the models to get the final results. And actually, this is an ensemble. This is quite useful. Yeah, it's quite used in machine learning, especially on, uh, for example, on Kaggle. The computation from Kaggles are uh, win most of the time using ensembles. These are super large models um, that are they are not really um, deployable in reality because of the large of the models, because the number of data they require to be trained. So to move away from ensemble to more like realistic um, approach. Mm -hmm. What we can do and what the authors propose is to use dropout. And actually, this is the most interesting part of the paper that uh, says that using dropout, so doing training, the dropout um, mask some of the weight. So actually what you're doing is using only um, a subset of the model. Yes. Um, a completely random subset, a completely random subnet of your network, of your completion your network, for example. Okay. And in every batch, you get uh, a completely random subset. Mm -hmm. And every batch, every batch is processed by a different model, but, but a different subset of the network, so a different model. And this is the interesting part, because in the end, what you get using the report during training is an ensemble. Is a, is a large network that has inside a multiple, an infinity number, infinite number of uh, uh, sub networks. Okay. Uh, we can use this in uh, most of the time. Uh, we train, uh, we drop out in, in uh, activating training because we want uh, more regularization that comes from it. Okay. Um, during tests, most of the time you don't activate the blowout, so you use the ensemble. You use the large network to get the yeah. results. That inside leverage out different um, the, the different subnets to get to, to get to, for example, the classification uh, for the classification yeah. task. The interesting part is that if you activate the blowout during testing, so uh, during testing, so. As really a stupid uh, technique because you yeah. simply set the uh, set the blowout. Uh, on during test, uh, so you subsample the subsample the network even during test, mm -hmm. you get the results of a completely random different subnet of your network. Yes. And yeah, so it's a different network every time you use it up out. Also, uh, you talked about the aleatoric uncertainty, which kind of you said that it measures the uncertainty from the data, that it's the things which you cannot understand from the data. So I want to talk about talk about it from the perspective of, let's say, uh, let's say the data of images uh, where the uncertainty, I believe, can be attributed to occlusion because the camera cannot see through the objects. So there's kind of an uncertainty, like what's gonna, uh, what is happening behind, uh, what's happening an actual thing, but the camera, since the camera cannot see because of the occlusion, so there's this creates some kind of uncertainty. Is that what sure, yeah. you mean by the uncertainty in data? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a point. That's one of the possible sources of this kind of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And another kind of. Um, problem could arise, for example, from from noisy uh, data, from noisy labels. So right. even if you have a, the a right image, for example, image a white center, center with an object uh, in the middle of it, mm -hmm. you still could have a noisy label, and that's another point of failure for a model because you are trying to, if you're trying to maximize the log likelihood, that's most of the time what you're doing, the maximize mm -hmm. the log likelihood. Okay. You you simply overfit over the over your what you have what you have is all you, what you see is all that you exist for the model so what mm -hmm. you that you have so you're trying to 
the model is trying to figure out how to predict a class, even if the class is not a right one. And yep. so you have this, this kind of problem. Okay. Um, so I believe, as you said, that the electronic uncertainty records a large amount of data to model that. And uh, so if you have the large amount of data, the possible applications, which I can, I believe they also talked about in the paper, I don't remember, but it can be used in certain real-time applications, I suppose, like because you have a large data accessibility and uh, I believe the uncertainty uh, in those real-time data can be high. So do you think uh, it can be used for real-time applications and the aleatoric uncertainty? Yeah, for example, can you repeat the question? Because maybe I miss enough. That is funny. Nobody listens to this podcast. So when you think of large data to get that, we think about doing uh, in a real-time applications, let's say what Tesla is doing in their in their sure, 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 sure. So they take the real-time data from the user, but real-time data also comes with a large uncertainty because it's uh, people do things every day in a different manner, right? So they, it comes uh, sure. it comes at a cost. So do you think electronic uncertainty can be beneficial for those kind of data? Probably what I expect is that you leverage out the uncertainty in this case. You should you could use multiple sensors. For example, like using the lidar, uh, multiple lidar sensors in all the possible directions in order to have a cross validation of the data and yeah. uh, leverage out some of the uncertainty in it. And in real time applications, the using dropout during tests. Uh, could uh, be really expensive because mm. when you're using the powder in test you use uh, for this you try to inference from the same input multiple times using this using different sub networks of uh, of your network so yeah. you are processing the same input multiple times it's expensive of course so probably okay. in a real-time application the only solution is to uh, collect a lot of data <laughs> Also, I believe that the main reason these Bayesian deep learning methods are not so widely adopted is the main issue could be that the traditional machine learning approaches to understand the uncertainty, such as what the Gaussian process do, and uh, to scale it to high dimensional inputs like images where we need deep learning to understand the data. But the problem is that deep learning struggles with uncertainty, right? So I want to understand it from you that do you think are there any benchmarks for Bayesian deep learning models like uh, we have ImageNet? So one could compare the progress of research in, let's say, computer vision related uncertainty problems. So you have a standard pipeline uh, using standard technique that doesn't use deep learning and a lot of industries are relying on this kind of uh, pipelines because they are reliable, they're robust and mm -hmm. even if they don't they don't require data that's important and also they are they quite generalize quite well because of this uh, of course uh, there are point of failures in this kind of problems and deep learning could solve the pro could solve these failures but uh, deep learning comes with this problem of uncertainty so i think in the future a kind of mix up of the two of using maybe uh, processing the input in the beginning and using deep learning with uh, um, some vision firm, some vision deep learning network, yeah. vision networks for modeling out this uncertainty could be a solution even for industries. Yeah. We are not there yet, I think, but yeah. uh, probably sure. it's going to come. 
Okay. I also want to point out that uh, the authors, that is Yaringal, made a very interactive plots of uh, for a regression-based network. Like uh, it's uh, it's it's like a simulator. You can start it and you can plot different data points and you can kind of visualize how uncertainty is kind of plotting up in the model. I will I will put this link um, into the podcast uh, if I can. Uh, I'm not sure how to do it, but I'm trying to. <laughs> Also, the authors have been doing a lot of work in Bayesian deep learning. And so sure, yeah. I read some of the previous paper from the same author, Alex Candle and Yarin Gull, that they have discussed about this methods like Bayesian deep learning into multitask learning methods. Like you mentioned, you have a set of different models which can be derived from like, let's say, uh, like very basically speaking, having different dropout, giving out different models. So we have a set of models. Do you think we can use that set of models to learn the parameters for different tasks? Like you said, you turn, you can combine those models together to learn mm -hmm. a single task, but can you use those different set of models together to learn a multitask network? Yeah, probably you can. I'm thinking about it because actually, Mm, the authors from the paper, so Alex, uh, you know, every in any paper they publish, yeah. they suggest to use dropout at every layer of the network. So what you have in deep learning is a uh, uh, a feature projector that come that process the input and try to predict a feature. So a feature vector for each input. For example, mm -hmm. most of the time you use the ResNet uh, backbone. So until the final layer. Um, you drop the last layer and you use the network to get a feature vector of your input. Yes. Um, if you add your part, uh, for example, to the rest, rest probably the rest 50 uh, comes with dropout. I'm not sure about it. Um, in any case, if you have the dropout double layer, what you have is a, a Bayesian feature projector that this uh, project that's uh, predicting different, uh, that has different sub, uh, sub feature projector inside it. Mm -hmm. So you can use multiple head attached to the network and probably the head should learn how to generalize from different uh, tasks. For example, you can predict, uh, in my case, what I'm working on is object detection and I'm using this kind of uh, techniques. Okay. And I'm predicting bo both the boxes, the bounding boxes and the classification uh, label for each box. So these are two different heads. Um, with a uh, dropout inside it, but also the dropout is activated during the feature projector. And we saw that um, the uncertainty they predict. So uh, probably I missed define what uncertainty is mathematically. I don't know if that's interesting, but actually it's simple. The, you can model it as the variance of the probability distribution that you get using dropout during tests. So you get multiple samples, so you can use, uh, you mentioned Monte Carlo approaches. And Monte Carlo mm -hmm. is uh, uh, actually what this means is simply taking the average, for example, of uh, the predictions you get from each subnet. And what you get it's uh, in this case is the average soft max, for example, of the prediction, that's uh, yeah. your result. But you can also take the variance because if you have multiple samples of this distribution, mm -hmm. um, you get from different uh, samples. So you have, you can do some kind of density estimation of the distribution behind the Bayesian approach, Bayesian network. Okay. And you can measure the variance of this, this uh, 
this distribution and getting the, the uncertainty. So yeah. that's why that's how they define the, the uncertainty. So quite simple because you simply get the power test and mm. get the different samples and you can compute the variance. Um, so I think uh, probably using these uh, variance shoes. Mm, uh, I miss what I'm talking about. Uh, we're talking about. <laughs> it's our multitask. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, for the multitask. This talk was recorded on Friday morning. Yeah, I think I think we talked a lot about the paper. I think this has been a very technical podcast. And uh, I want to move a little bit forward to talk about the thing which you mentioned in the starting about the about your contribution in PyTorch and some of the important libraries which you have been actively contributing to. Can you talk about it? What are those libraries and get us through that? Sure. Wow, we move to more shallow. <laughs> yeah, it has been uh, topic. very. So I don't know yeah, how many people are going to ask. If we miss, uh, for the people that are still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm also a contributor to PyTorch Lightning. And I started using Lightning. So this framework um, is from, from, uh, from people from the ocean that don't know this. It's actually a framework for PyTorch. They try to um, abstract all the engineering parts of the deep learning uh, process of deep learning pipeline. For example, uh, the um, typical uh, the typical uh, process that I use Lightning for is multi GPU training. Mm -hmm. And also that's what I contributed to in Lightning because uh, when I started using it, I found it really interesting to use, to have a really super simple um, interface to launch your code and automatically that trains on multiple GPUs. So I contributed uh, for the test and also for some utilities and uh, for object detectors in uh, in the Lightning framework. They give you a really uh, high level, uh, like level interface for the thing, for the thing process, for example, so you don't have to uh, to use the optimizer step, to be careful about the logging stuff, about um, computing the gradients and updating your, updating your parameters and so on, because Lightning do it on your own, so on your phone, so you don't need to be careful about it. But at the same time, Lightning gives you the opportunity to override this um, uh, automatically approach, so you can define your own uh, optimization step, your, your own training step, and also your multi-GPU training if you need uh, if you need something more custom. Okay. So you have both of the both of the um, sides of this uh, of this kind of framework. So you have the possibility the customization possibilities, so you can customize uh, almost everything. But if you don't need to, you can use the standard uh, interface they provide you, and it's uh, super powerful. And I use it uh, in all my you know my project since uh, March 2020, so it's uh, nearly Yes, so you have made us believe that you're a highly tech uh, enthusiast. <laughs> anyway, so thank you, Gianluca, for your time on a Friday. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, it was it a was, pleasure. Uh, really fun for me. Hopefully, sure. it wasn't super technical. And it wasn't really hard to follow. And I oh, no, it was really lovely. Powerful. That's what she said. Thank you, thank you, Gianluca. Have a good day. Thank you. Have a good day.